Welcome to the Rockin' Life podcast, Rockin' Life After Divorce. And today we have Peter Laban and Tracy Powers with us. Welcome to the show today. Thank Thanks you. for having us. And Tiercy is with us too, co-hosting. This is the first time we're co-hosting. This is going to be a lot of fun. <laughs> we're going to hang Thank out you. together and see what we learn today. And Peter Laban and Tracy, you guys have also gone through a divorce previously. And I'm going to share a little bit about the divorce. And this podcast is about giving hope to people that are going through divorce or are struggling after divorce. And to hear other people's stories that have navigated divorce in a good way. We all have gone through divorce and we have navigated in a good way. And it's like it's never finishing journey. You're growing, you're learning. And Peter and uh, Tracy are both coaches and uh, are focusing also on a subject that I thought was very interesting about masculine and feminine energy. And I, I really want to learn about that today. That's going to be a lot of fun. I truly believe that a divorce can be that catalyst that can help the people, uh, kind of like an awakening in a way, to redirect your life and turn your life into an amazing life. And uh, I usually say that a breakup, it can be very difficult. And it depends how you do the breakup and how you kind of look at life afterwards. And I want to do that climb together with your listeners. I call it the Rocking Life Podcast because my kids and I started climbing, rock climbing about a year ago. And uh, life is a lot like rock climbing. It's, uh, you can have easy paths, but you can have paths that are very difficult. And I say, you have to have a good friend, uh, a counselor, a coach, or a mentor when you go through these difficult paths. You're not going to go and climb Mount Everest without a guide. That would be very unwise. And to go through divorce without people around you, it's almost impossible, I would say. Or the process is going to take a lot longer and uh, to, to gain to whatever you want to go. I know that Peter had a little story to share about your divorce and how that brought you through the divorce. Yes. So my divorce was my path to learning about masculine and feminine. And the way it started is just to give a little bit of a background on the marriage. I have four kids and generally my ex and I split our responsibilities with her focused on the kids and me focused on career. And that, as a lot of people know, can be very disconnecting, which it was for us because we didn't put enough energy into the marriage itself as we were focusing on our individual areas. And that went on for a long time, especially with four kids, it keeps you busy. But so the marriage was kind of in the state that I see a lot of people having, which was fine. It just, it wasn't bad. It wasn't great. It was just fine. And it kind of felt like that's the way it, marriages are. And then about five years ago or so, something changed. And I felt like we disconnected one step further, like pretty suddenly. And I couldn't tell what it was, but I knew that this was not like same old, same old. And that was my call to action where I need to do something in order to figure out what's going on. And at the time, the idea was to save the marriage. So as that was starting, my best friend was visiting. And obviously, I shared with him what I was going through. And he gave me a book that changed my life. And that book was The Way of the Superior Man by David Data, who is sort of the uber guru teacher of masculine feminine type work. And that's a book that I recommend to men specifically, because the way I look at that book is it's almost like a manual of what your job is. And so when my friend gave it to me, I started reading it. It's a relatively fast read, but I literally did not put it down until I was finished. Wow. Because <laughs> I think I don't remember how many chapters it has, something like 50. And each chapter is like four or five pages. So it's all these bite-sized pieces. And I read the first time, I'm like, oh my God, that's me. <laughs> and, then, and it was like, when I, some of them I didn't relate to at the time, but a lot of them I'm like, yeah, I did that and I'm doing it wrong. And so my experience like instantaneously was I realized I did not understand my job as a masculine identified man and as a husband. And for somebody who's masculine identified, part of what we want to do is rise to a challenge and conquer challenges, et cetera. 
So once I realized I wasn't playing the right game, I got into action to essentially figure out my job and do the best job I can. And the couple of things that were like truly, probably the one thing that was the most mind blowing has to do with who leads a relationship or who is responsible for a relationship. And I see that mistake made that I made, I call it a rookie mistake and men make it all the time. And the best way I can express it is by with two quotes, one from the book I mentioned, The Way of the Superior Man by David Data. And the other one actually from a book called uh, The Man's Guide to Women, Scientifically Proven Secrets from the Love Lab about what women really want. This is by John and Julie Gottman. So they're psychologists. And these two quotes you'll see in a second are saying exactly the same thing. One saying coming from a psychology perspective and one coming from an energetic spiritual perspective. So the psychology from the Gottman's quote is, so here's the news flash. Men, you have the power to make or break a relationship, which by the way, to me was like, what? <laughs> Completely confusing. That's right. Research shows that what men do in a relationship is by a large margin, the crucial factor that separates a great relationship from a failed one. This does not mean that a woman doesn't need to do her part, but the data proves that a man's actions are the key variable that determines whether a relationship succeeds or fails. So that's the psychology people. And from David Data, he phrases it a little differently and says, there are masculine and feminine gifts in intimacy, and each gift comes with its own responsibility. The direction of growth of a relationship is primarily the man's responsibility. The energy of an intimacy, such as pleasure, sexual flow, and vitality, is primarily the woman's responsibility. So after reading the data book, and obviously I came with examples and, and perspectives, I realized, oh my God, yeah, I thought it was my wife's responsibility. For, she was responsible for the relationship, et cetera. And then reading these two books, that got completely upended. And what I have found is when I talk to men and just share this one concept, the key concept, it changes everything. Because once you realize that you're responsible, not your wife, and you know what that means and you know what to do, then things can start moving in a forward direction. So thanks for sharing your story. Those quotes, I heard you say them on another podcast and they really struck me because it is a whole new concept. So thank you for sharing that today. Uh, Tracy, I'd like to hear your story. I think you had one that you were going to share as well. Well, so for me, my husband, my ex-husband, I'll just preface by saying that he's a very talented chef. And I don't know if you know this about chefs, but they have a very high divorce rate. They work oh. very long hours and not convenient hours. Many people would say, oh, you're married to a chef. You must eat so well. And the fact is that anytime I'm eating, he's cooking for others. And so I'm usually home by myself cooking for me and the children and eating kid food. So <laughs> the romance of that idea is, is gone a little. But I think that we really came together at a time we were ready to take the next step in our lives and that being buy a home, start a family. And I knew that this man would be a very good father. And I think that's really what brought us together. And that is still what stands in our relationship as we're divorced today. So there was... Our schedules really didn't line up. There was not much time together. And over time, we kind of wandered in different directions too. We had things that we were interested in together at the beginning of the marriage. But as we developed individually as people, we really didn't have that much in common anymore. And we were working on it. We were in therapy, but we never really got that breakthrough. And so taking the time to each go to therapy individually. I began working with a coach. I think just as you said, Pear, that having other people around, and I think what people make a mistake is going to their friends or going to their mother or going to someone that really doesn't know they can soothe you. They can tell you what maybe you want to hear, but they might stoke the fire a little bit more and really getting outside of it and talking to someone who has a better relationship, has what you want, maybe, has 
gotten results, then you're really speaking to the right people rather than the same circle of friends who all hate their husband too. You're not going to go anywhere with that. So for me, getting to the point of actually saying, we've really tried everything. And now the only thing left to do is see if we're better on our own. And that's very difficult. I was raised Catholic. I was taught to believe that marriage was forever. And I could see how that, that felt like a failure. And we had agreed, like, we're in this together, no matter what. But if we're not both growing, if we're not both happy, if it's not a good environment for our children anymore, then it's time to just try the other way. And luckily, that really did work out. And luckily, we've gotten to a place where we are friendly, we take trips together, we still really put our children first. (laughs) And um, I'm I'm very lucky in in that regard. I do really still love my ex-husband. I just don't want to be with him. (laughs) So and I think also that point of being able to say, okay, let's just try something different and having that faith in myself that I would be okay, that I would be happy on my own, that I would keep growing in the direction that was really calling me also led me to open the door to having a relationship with Peter, which while I was trying so many things, trying to make my marriage work to be what I wanted it to be, being able to let it go and then find that embodied somewhere else has just been the greatest gift. Wow, that's really great. I I loved what you just had to share. And I think I'm going to speak for Pear here. So correct me if I'm wrong. I think he and I are probably both in awe of the relationship you, you have with your ex-husband. Yes. Because both of us have not had that same experience. So what enables you to be able to maybe not work in a marriage, but be able to work as amazing co-parents because the fact that you, I I almost get teary about it because who wins in your situation is you, him, your children. It's beautiful. So what enables you to work so well as co-parents where maybe you didn't work so well in a marriage? Yeah. So I would say the first thing is establishing positive intent. So it's very easy to get caught up in our stories And especially with someone you've lived together, you've had intense entanglements with, once a lot of those pieces are removed, you no longer need to see his dirty socks on the floor, (laughs) no longer need to have those little things that can be biting. We still have those stories. He's this way, she's that way. And to be able to establish that he has the children's best interest in mind, he gets to make his own choices now. He gets to, I know that he cares and he loves us and that he does want the best. And so to establish that, I don't keep going back to the old stories anymore. If something starts to feel heated between the two of us, I find that if I show up with a smile on my face and I get interested in him and I ask how he is and I show up with that smile and that heart, that it instantly diffuses him. Wow. That's great. Oh, I was just gonna say that's a really, so what I hear you saying is you're approaching him in curiosity and trying to understand maybe his point of view and his perspective. Yeah, absolutely. I think we get so caught in our stories, our perspectives, and that the more you can open up to many perspectives, not just two, because when you have one perspective and then another, you're in a dilemma. It's either one or the other. Once you add in a third perspective, a fourth perspective, you have choice. You have empowerment. Wow. I I just was going to say, I feel like that's also a skill set you can carry into your relationship with Peter. Yeah, absolutely. It's key. Yeah. Sometimes I I think it's it's, that story that's coming up in your head. What's happening right now? Can we talk that through? I think it's so important uh, what you just said. And I commend you for having that really taking that it's importance of trying to make it work out with your ex because of the especially because of the kids and it's probably why it's so difficult sometimes with breakups with kids when it's a lot of strife like both tears i have in our ex relationships i've really tried i've bent over backwards i feel to try to make it work but it's constant strife i don't know Mm -hmm. Uh, peter do you have anything similar where it comes how's your uh, co-parenting working out 
So the co-parenting piece of it actually works pretty well. We both have always put our kids' best interests first, and we are able to communicate relatively well on anything kid-related. Even if we don't agree, we're, we, I think our capacity to resolve differences is probably as good as it's ever been, even from the marriage. I know that some people have nightmare stories of exes using the kids this way, that mm-hmm. way. And I don't really so much. I mean, there's some things on the margin that are annoying, but it's nothing. It's not, I wouldn't call it strife. It's just like sometimes people get frustrated and makes off the hand, you know, offhand comments, et cetera. On the flip side, the there's no, at this stage, there really is not much of a relationship between yeah. us other than co-parenting. Yeah. Which I think is, is too bad. And not just in my relationship, but when I see that, across other people. And the perspective I've developed since divorce is that at the end of the day, it really doesn't have very much to do with the interaction between the two people. It has much more to do with the triggers of the individual people. And being able to, like Tracy said, one of our teachers talks a lot about having multiple perspectives. And I like how she phrased that that gives you choice. Mm -hmm. And so like when it, one perspective I would share with people is when your ex is doing something that triggers you and when you're triggered, because usually you're angry or frustrated <laughs> or something like that, you really have to ask yourself a couple of questions to help yourself. One question is, what is this trigger inside of me? And what you will find is that there's a core wound inside of you that your ex is able to pluck very easily. Once you figure that out, there's many ways to go and then work on your trigger because it's not your trigger with your ex. It's your trigger that with everybody, except your ex is better than most at triggering it. So that's one perspective. The second perspective is analyze your narrative about your ex. If your narrative is something along the lines, he or she is this terrible human being who would murder millions of people if they could, it's probably not correct. And the simple example I can give you, they are trying to meet your ex is trying to meet a need. And that need could be, for example, the need for significance. You have never made them feel significant. That need could be a need for safety. You have never made them feel safe. If you can really think it through from their perspective and understand what need they are satisfying in this unhealthy, toxic way by triggering you, you might be able to come up with a creative solution to fulfill that need for them in a productive way. And then once that need is fulfilled, they don't have to behave in that way anymore. So I think a big one in with axes is that we don't feel fully heard or seen or understood. That would be one example. So why not say something kind that says, I see, hear, or understand, one, whatever little thing it is that they're telling you. And then just build on that and build on it. And then when you get upset, you're like, okay, I got triggered. And you can say, thank you for triggering me because you are showing me something that is inside of me. And get out of the victim mindset. That's the issue in a lot of these dynamics is like, this is happening to me. This is what they're doing to me. And instead, one perspective you can add is, this is all happening for me. And what am I supposed to learn from this experience? Yeah. Yeah, I've heard uh, a quote, life doesn't happen to you, it happens for you. When you learn that, it's very powerful because then it, it's, it makes life easier. We're going to switch a little bit subject. The, when I learned about you, Peter, you were doing a webinar and you were talking about the six human needs. And I thought that was very interesting how you talked about looking for a new spouse after divorce when you've done the healing you've really started to kind of get to know yourself again that was a journey for me i felt quite lost towards the end of the relationship but then to kind of like what do i need to look for in a new spouse you were talking about the the six human needs and the importance of having similar needs being the strongest could you talk a little bit more into that sure so tracy and i 
came across the concept of the six basic human needs from Tony Robbins' work. I'm not sure it's his original work, but he certainly uses it a lot. I haven't been able to find an earlier source. And the six basic human needs come in two buckets, a psychological bucket, which is your need for love and connection, your need for certainty, and then ironically, your need for uncertainty or novelty, and then your need for significance. So those are the psychological needs. The, the, what he calls more spiritual needs are the needs for growth and the need for contribution. So there's two ways to look at these six basic needs. First of all, try to understand how you're meeting them. You're not meeting some of them. You're meeting all of them. The question is, how well are you meeting them? And that to me is in two dimensions. One is how good a job you're doing, but also how healthy a job you're doing, because you can meet those needs in very unhealthy ways, for example. And some of those needs you can meet by yourself, and some of them you use other people to meet those needs. So for example, when we did the uh, little test, both Tracy and I scored the highest on the need for growth. So if you are such a person, it would be probably impossible to be in a relationship with somebody whose highest need is certainty. Because in order to grow, you have to always be a little bit uncomfortable uh, because you're going to terrain that you've never explored before. So you doing that and being with somebody who wants things just the way they are, because certainty at the end of the day is also a need for safety, is probably not going to work. So that's one element in terms of comparing the needs with your partner. But the other element is, are you doing it in a healthy way? Because people I've seen meet their need for certainty in very abusive relationships. And it's the devil experience of, yes, he or she is abusive to me, but I know what that is and I know what to expect. And I do this every single day. If I leave this relationship, who knows what the next thing could be? It could be awesome, but it could be terrible. I have no idea. And if you have a high need for certainty, you can't do that. Instead, if you had a high need for novelty or a high need for growth, you would leave that relationship in a heartbeat. And so one way to use the six basic needs is understand yourself, understand how you meet them, and then get curious about your partner or people you meet that you're dating. And there's no formula. It's not like, if I'm high on this, they have to be here. There's no matrix, <laughs> yeah. but it's good to just be aware of it and go, okay, can this work? And the answer usually is yes. And the awareness makes it work better. Wow. That's really great. I know my ears perked up when I heard you on a different podcast talking about those needs as well. They're fascinating to me. And the opposing, like if you're, if you have growth, if your growth, you said you and Tracy are both growth, then that opposes the uncertainty. I, it's just, it's a really fascinating dynamic. So Tracy, how do these, need, how do you feel about these needs? What's your, any personal experience you want to share with maybe some of them, either how it worked or didn't work? I just, I, this is such a fascinating topic. I'd love to hear more about your experience with them. Yeah. Also, another way to use them is to turn it around and say, how am I filling my partner's needs? If I go through each one, how am I filling Peter's need for certainty? How safe does he feel in this relationship? How much does he know he can count on me? And if I judge myself on a scale one to 10, then I know with each need, how significant do I make him feel? Does he know how important he is to me? And how often do I make connection, let him know he's loved? And if you go through each one, you might find, wow, I, for instance, contribute to him. Like a man, and th this also speaks to the masculine and the feminine, is a man at the end of the day is a provider. He, do, he wants to be needed. He wants to make a difference in his partner's life. And if you don't allow him to do that and you say, no, I've got to do it all on my own. If he doesn't see how he contributes to your life, then he's going to think he's not a good partner and might not be the best fit for you. Great. So can you give me an example? I love the concepts, but I also, I learned by hearing examples. So if you have one that you could share, I would love to hear it. So... <clears throat> For in that way of contribution, actually, I'd love to tell a story that's not mine. I was just speaking with 
another woman and she was telling me how she had done some of this work and she is a diabetic and she knows that she can change her insulin on her own. It's something that's got to be plugged into her body, but her partner, it's easier if he does it. And one day he wasn't home in time to do it and she had to change it. And he came home and was a little crestfallen. Like you didn't need me. It's being able to take those moments to, yes, it would actually be better if you did this for me. And I appreciate you so much for having done that. Yeah. I, oh, I get it. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And I can understand his reaction a little bit. Like that's kind of the, what I do for you. And you did it without me. I really like that. I feel like these six needs we could have like multiple discussions on. Is it something where you, if they're six, are you stronger in one than others or are they equal across the board? Something that can shift constantly. You may, as your essential being, you may have a few that are really top and you can hear it when you start talking to people right away. Like if they talk about their family, if they talk about who they love, if they talk about those things, then love and connection is very high on their list. If they start to talk about what's happening at work and how they need to make sure they get this done or that done, they might be talking more about, we need actually the certainty part of like, if they're concerned, if they're worried, if they need to make sure that everything's the way it's supposed to be. And you're right. If they're talking about work in terms of this is the difference I'm making in the world, and this is what excites me. And this is my life mission, then contribution might be higher on the list. But as Peter said, you've got to really watch how you're filling these needs. Like if you have been so structured maybe in, a, in an end to meet your goal or to be more of a contributor, but you've totally lost your sense of variety, you might start to find variety in say, I just skipped a meal. I don't know where I'm, what time I'm going to eat again. And you start to, instead of, I'm going to put on a song and that I've never heard and just Give that a try. Finding a healthy way rather than a way you start to sabotage because we all have each need. It's not like, well, contribution is so high to me, so I don't need to worry about variety. No, they are across the board important. Just some tend to be more important than others. Thank you. That is so interesting. I think we need to do a whole podcast episode about the, the six human needs. Yeah, it's a, it's a very interesting subject. And I was so intrigued by you, Peter, when you shared about it and hearing, hearing sharing about it now and to being aware of it as well. I think that's powerful. And I think that's uh, why I really wanted the listeners to hear this about this and the importance about knowing it. And we're going to sw- switch a little again here and talk a little bit about masculine and feminine energy, what was the main uh, subject of the web of the webcast on the platform that I heard you first and how that affects relationships. And uh, I go back to you, Peter, if you want to share a little bit more about that, I know that you had that in your initial story, how that affected you uh, navigating divorce. And how does that affect you in your current relationship? And if you just share with the listeners a little bit more and, and with me, how that, how that affects the relationship. Sure. So it's a pretty huge topic. And I'll just try to give a couple examples and perspectives just to ease people into some awareness and some ways that they can relate to uh, in their life. So first of all, I like the terminology masculine and feminine because I grew up learning that terminology. It sometimes can get charged for people because everybody seems to have a perspective of what those words mean. And in this context, it typically doesn't mean what most people grew up thinking that it means. And one example I would give is, so first of all, what is masculine energy and what is feminine energy? typically. So masculine energy, and this is energy that both men and women have. It's not a matter of whether we have them or we don't have them. It's also not a pie, meaning it's not like I'm 64% masculine and 36% feminine. It's actually, I think of it as two buckets. And how big are your two buckets? And And if you get bigger in one bucket, doesn't mean you get smaller in the other. You can actually grow in both buckets. And that is generally what I... Uh, try to explain to people that growing those buckets and 
it's really growing your nervous system and growing your capacity for masculine and feminine energy. And it's a lot like going to the gym and there's exercises you can do to increase that capacity that will shift your life. So just to get clear that it's not gender related, there are some things we can say about how gender overlaps with it, but masculine and feminine is not gender related. So the masculine energy is typically more of like the way I would encapsulate it is the get stuff done energy. It's much more linear, rational, logical, left brain, how to solve problems, how to fix things, and driven by challenge and competition. And the feminine energy is much softer, free-flowing, full of energy, right brain, creative feeling. So a couple of examples. If a man is an artist, for example, he will probably have a fairly strongly developed feminine energy because that would be the creative part of his artistry. On the flip side, a woman who is primarily a homemaker and mother actually is a lot more in her masculine energy than people realize because raising children is not as it's about love, but it's more about logistics. It's getting them clothed and bathed and fed and taken to practice and school and blah, blah, blah. And that requires get stuff done kind of energy to accomplish that. So understanding that those are the kinds of energies you can, first of all, develop awareness of how often you are in your masculine during the day and how often you are in your feminine during the day. So if you go to the refrigerator and you open it and you start staring blankly at it and kind of go, what do I feel like? Do I want to eat the avocado or maybe I want a piece of chicken? And you can't you're probably more in your feminine. If you go to the refrigerator, open, grab the first thing, eat it and move on to go do something else, you're probably more in your masculine because you see getting the food as not an experience, not something to be felt and, and appreciated. You see it as I'm hungry, I need food because I'm on my mission to accomplish these things. Yeah. So that, that gives you some perspective. And the reason it's important, it's important for a number of different reasons. One is in relationship because there's the concept of polarity. So this is like magnets or North Pole, South Pole. So polarity means the masculine attracts the feminine, vice versa. So one of the problems we encounter all the time is when two partners in a relationship are in the same pole. They're both in the masculine or both in the feminine. That is depolarizing. So you might be best friends if you're in the same pole all the time but nobody's going to be doing much in the bedroom. There's not going to be any fire there. And that, and often that actually is kind of where people get to for a variety of reasons over time in the relationship, they might've been super polarized the first couple of years. And then as you kind of get used to living together and you're on top of each other the whole time that can shift and then cool the relationship dramatically. The other part of it is if you have goals and purpose and want to accomplish things in life, you're going to need to develop your masculine energy, for example. If you want to be more creative, you're going to need to develop your feminine energy. So it's not just relationships. It's all aspects. It permeates all aspects of life. And the other piece I'll throw out there is that your children, especially when they're younger, have mostly feminine energy, even if they are boys. And that also gives you some insight. If you think about, if you have kids and you think of them below age sort of 12, even the boys, you'll kind of understand what feminine energy looks like every single day. For little kids, it can be, I'm happy. I'm crying. <laughs> I'm happy again. It's like the weather, it's constantly changing. That's sort of like pure feminine energy. And so... When I started on this journey with the way of the superior man, it wasn't just understanding that I had a job to do as the masculine identified partner, but I also realized that there were certain things and men, this blows men's minds whenever I share with them. There are certain things that men end up wanting in their partner. And I did it too. And those things that they're looking for are actually for their partner to behave like another masculine identified man. Somebody who's reasonable, logical, rational, that part of being masculine is doing what you say you're going to do. So you expect your wife to do what she says she's going to do. And you eventually learn that if you do that, if you have those expectations, it's obviously very depolarizing. And you're putting an expectation on your feminine partner that is not 
some something that you really deeply want, you're aware of it, and it's not something that she can really give you. So if you get frustrated by your partner or wife as a man who's masculine identified, ask yourself, is it because she doesn't be behave like a dude or your buddy in certain circumstances, or is it something else? And often you'll find that you're just treating her like your buddy. And guess what? That's not very exciting or polarizing <laughs> at the end of the day. So between understanding actually the gifts of the feminine are different than the gifts of the masculine and treating your partner with the lens of this is what she needs to provide for me. And it's not what my buddy needs to provide for me is also very liberating. I think those are really fascinating ideas and concepts. They're a little bit new for me. So while you were speaking, I feel like as a single mom, Tracy, do you have children? Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. Oh, that's right. You vacation together. Sorry. I feel like as a single mom, I live a lot in the masculine when I'm at work. So Tracy, it, that instilled a little bit of fear in me. <laughs> How do you balance your work being in the masculine? How do you invite the feminine in? Because because even as a stay-at-home or sorry, single mom, I get home from work and it's the logistics, cooking dinner, getting homework done. So tell me what you do to encourage, invite, I don't know what the right terms are with for your feminine and balance that for Peter, because it sounded like very clearly, like he doesn't want you to be a dude. He doesn't want you to <laughs> do you know the things that the masculine energy, we need that balance in relationships. So, it, so what are your thoughts? So, yeah, I love this question and I'm happy to help. There is, there are several ways in which I can reconnect to my feminine. One being in relationship with Peter. If we are going out on a date, it is, he's in the lead and I just get to show up, have fun, feel into all my sensations. I trust him to worry about how we're going to get to the restaurant. Sometimes I even love if he just orders for me. Of course, if I have an opinion, I will happily state it, but I just get to be really present, really in my heart, really fluid, expressive, feel my emotions rather than worrying about what's happening over there. How are we going to get to there? So it's letting go of control. At home with children, I am most of the time, as we would say in this world, holding the container. So when you're in a container, this is why I say women love to go to yoga or Pilates, right? Because the, and even men too, because for a whole hour, they're told what to do. You don't have to think of, well, what exercise do I want to do next? It's why people hire a trainer, right? So it's getting to be in someone else's container for a full hour. So as many times as I can, I set the container ahead of time so that my mass, my own masculine is, has set the space so that I can just flow into my feminine, which one key thing I'll say is setting timers, right? So like oh. the other day, my daughter got home from school. She wants to draw. That's a great time where we can both be in our feminine. But if I'm worried about what time do I have to start dinner and I'm constantly looking at the clock or looking at my phone, who's texting me, I'm thinking about the other containers, then I'm going to be right back in my masculine and not in my feminine being creative and loving and just juicy with her. So if I set a timer, this is what time I I am going to go worry about dinner. Then the container set, I don't have to go back into my masculine to make sure things are taken care of. And then one other I think item I'd say is I personally, I think it's important for every man and woman, but having time for yourself at one point in the day, usually first thing in the morning. So I get up an hour or so before my children. And again, setting that timer for what time I'm then going to go wake them up like and always having a ritual. I believe that women, we are very ritualistic. Like we are each medicine women. That's what we, how we came up in tribes, right? Creating rituals for each other. There are things that signify even following the moon cycles, or it's very creative and very nourishing. So having that ritual in the morning, one of them could be just putting on a song and moving however it makes you feel in that moment. And it's a point of being able to express and feel what's coming up rather than just going back into your rational mind and closing it back off. Oh, 
I really like that. The idea of containers, it's, it, it, it gives me a visual. I'm a visual person. So I really like that. And the timer is fabulous. I, I use that a lot in my divorce process, but I used it and allowing me to feel my feelings and not ruminate. I never thought of applying it this way. I really thank you for sharing that. That was really great. I had a recent experience, maybe it was a month or two ago, where I, the whole, you were talking about the moving and the dancing. I really, I didn't realize that was a feminine quality and I love it. And I went on a date. It was a few months ago. The guy reached out to me through Facebook Messenger. It was really great because we were planned to go on this hike. I love hiking. I love being out in nature. And I don't even know how it came up, but I was like, somehow I'm like, I'm going to bring my music and we're going to dance at the top of the mountain. And it was really a great moment. Like, and it really bonded us. He's a little bit young for me. He still might want more kids. I'm My uterus is done. So, but it was a great moment and it really bonded us. And we danced on the top of that mountain and it was fabulous moment two white kids dancing neither one of us have a rhythm but it was just the moving of the bodies I it was such an enjoyable moment so I get why the feminine is the creative like Peter was talking about what am I going to eat at the refrigerator I love that not I'm just going to get this done oh I have a dog too (laughs) you're fine you're fine so I love that moment I but it I would you want to ask a question how do you recommend balancing this? And Peter, if you have input too, in a dating life, because you two are in an established relationship and I see how you can balance it really well. But like you talked about Pete going on this date with Peter and knowing he was going to take care of the things, which I love that. Mike's husband was really great at that. But on a, in a dating, it's so uncertain. And I found in my divorce support group, a lot of men are wanting women to take the lead. And it's disconcerting a little bit. They don't show up. As Peter says, they don't get it done. How do you balance this in a dating world? And that's directed to Peter or Tracy. (laughs) I think we probably both have some insight on it. Go for it. So I think men saying they want women to take a lead is in some ways a little bit of a cop out and in some ways is what corner we've put them in unfortunately. Interesting. We have wanted them to be more emotional. We don't trust what they're doing. So we want to take over. And they're really confused right now because they feel like if they do take the lead and they make a mistake, they're going to get some slack for it. And they feel like they can't do anything right. So the number one thing I would recommend is let them do it badly. Oh. So even if it's not the restaurant you would have picked, even if they forgot to make the reservation, they are doing the work and they are making the effort. So start to let go of some of the control and it not quite being right and let them do it, even though it's not the way you would do it. Because if you want a man to lead you, you have to let him do it. And the other thing I would say is that just as Peter talked about it being a pull, you can magnetize someone. So if you are showing up at the restaurant, hey, let's talk about this, then they'll think, okay, she's in control. I can sit back and relax. And then he goes into his feminine. But if you're sitting there and you feel like you might want to take the conversation because he's not quite going there yet, just sit back and soften even more. Just out-feminine him. Oh, you know, I wonder, I wonder what we should talk about and open up that door for him to do it rather than telling him to do it. Be artful in the way in which I really wonder what I'm kind of hungry. I wonder what we should have and just keep one, one thing is we call it the art of sacred helplessness. So I think it's key for women to practice this wherever they can And Peter gives a great example all the time is at the airport with the overhead bin. When you roll up (laughs) a suitcase, most women nowadays are, I can do this myself. And they are very focused in their masculine, like, let me put it up. And the woman who's like, oh, this is really heavy. I don't know what I'm going to (laughs) do. Men will rush in and want to help her. And again, they love doing that. They feel like they just contributed to this woman and you get to feel taken care of by a perfect stranger. It's beautiful. That is beautiful. I do like that. I guess 
I understand. I guess <laughs> what I've seen is men want women to ask them out on dates, even like it's so hard that sacred helplessness when they're not even asking you out on dates. You know what I mean? Let's hang out, which, or I don't know. It's just interesting. Peter, what did you have to share? Yeah, I think it's a couple of things. One is at the end of the day is simply fear. So that's, that's one thing that's showing up. The other thing that's showing up is, as Tracy said, in society, especially I would say the last 30, 40 years, men have gotten very conflicting messages. Some of the quote unquote bad words are like toxic masculinity, patriarchy, misogyny, et cetera. And nobody's, so people are telling them bad boy, but nobody's telling them do this. And that's really the issue. So that's why going back to the book that changed my life, that book says, do this. It's not telling you doing it wrong. It's not telling you what not to do. It's telling you what to do. And so men just are lost is really the bottom line. They just, they're at, they want you to ask them out and take care of stuff because for a variety of different reasons, but essentially women nowadays, I feel are, have a stronger masculine capacity that is expressed. Women tend to be, the younger women, the younger generation tends to be more successful than men in school, college, graduate school, jobs, et cetera, which people don't really talk about. So they're in their masculine a lot, and then they go into a relationship and that masculine shows up and that confuses the men even further. The flip side is that the men, in the younger generation, especially, are more in their feminine because of all the negative, toxic masculinity is bad and blah, blah, blah. And so nobody really knows what they're doing is really the bottom line. And what's cool about the masculine feminine work, and I'll t- share it, Tracy shared it from the feminine perspective, which is how do you inspire the behavior of the man mm-hmm. by the way you behave? I'll share it from the masculine perspective, which is figure out your job and do it. And I can say that to a man. I can't say that to a feminine woman. But I can say that because that she won't respond to it that way. You need to say it a different way. But to a man, you say, dude, this is your job. Get it done. And once he understands the job, he'll get it done. So, yeah, I mean, it's really as simple as that. But that's why the awareness of this work is so, so important. Because the example I also get, give that I love is like going out to dinner to a restaurant. So the conversation between two dudes is... Where do you want to go to dinner? And the other dude is like, I don't care. You pick. And then he's like, okay, let's do Italian. Okay, done. That's how dudes do it. (laughs) For sure. (laughs) You have that conversation with a woman and it's like, where do you want to go to dinner, babe? And she's like, I don't know. I don't care. You pick. And you're like, okay, let's go to Italian. She's like, nah, I'm not feeling (laughs) Italian. You're like, well, she told me that I can pick. (laughs) well how about we go to the french place she's like the last time i went there this happened i really don't like the maitre d and you're like what the (laughs) and and then you get the masculine gets aggravated right because you think you're talking to dude and you're not and so at the end of the day you need to learn you're not telling her what to do you're leading her and that's different and it's actually i can have the same conversation about what it takes to be a ceo People who think it's an authoritarian model versus it's a yep. mentoring kind of model. And this is exactly the same thing. So I just want people not to be confused that this is do as I say woman territory. But like like Tracy mentioned before, I know I have to pick the restaurant. I usually have a backup or two and I feel into her. And I know where we went the last bunch of times. I know what she might be in the mood for. And I'd say most of the time what I pick lands on the first try Occasionally, it takes a try or two. And once in a while, it's a long, drawn-out process that ends up (laughs) with takeout. (laughs) Rarely. Um, But the point is that men need to understand that that's their job and how to do it artfully and skillfully, not in a, this is my way or the highway kind of way, which men don't seem to do as much anyway, because they're so confused. And so women... When you give your man feedback about anything, and I use feedback politely because it's usually complaint, you are training him. And usually you're training him poorly. And I can use analogies of training dogs and why most dogs are completely out of control is because most dog owners don't know how to train the dog, give it boundaries in a way that the dog feels safe 
and comfortable, especially dogs that end up nipping other people, et cetera. It's the same thing in the masculine and feminine. Women, you are training your man and not doing a great job because you don't, you also are not understanding exactly how to do it properly to get the outcome that you want. <laughs> a lot of that happens because as men and women are very different, women respond very well to criticism and complaint. The minute they mm -hmm. hear a complaint, they're going to check and see what they did wrong. They're going to so try and true. fix it. They are biologically wired to be pleasing because back in the day, they had to, they needed to be on good terms with the man to go out and kill for her and bring it back. And if she upset him, he might not want to do that again. So we're all, we are often trying to be pleasing. So when we hear a criticism, we'll turn around and, and change, but men aren't that way. And we don't want them to be that way either. We want them to be strong and we want them to be firm in who they are. And that is why oftentimes women will push. A man will think he's doing his job well and she will just push to make sure that if he caves in, then she's back in her masculine, right? But if he holds firm, then she knows, mm -hmm. okay, actually I'm safe here. I'm good. I'm good. If, when it comes to masculation, that word I've heard many times. And I think in my former relationship that towards the end, my, my ex-wife was well, very controlling, a lot of manipulation, etc. And I felt that I backed off codependency, etc. Could you guys speak into that? And is it like to establishing boundaries? And, and how do you avoid that? Yeah, absolutely. I think emasculation is an unfortunate, once again, society really accepts it as the way that it is. Women happily get together in groups and badmouth men. And I don't think that's healthy whatsoever. And a lot of times they do it in order to feel safe. You may not understand how much women, their, their safety they can be harmed at any moment by a man. Most of the times, if something's okay. going to happen, it'll be at the hands of a man. So physically and just environmentally, we feel threatened. So often we lash out and that's just bad biologically wiring too. And society, I think boundaries is a really good way to go. Sometimes I will start to push and Peter will say, wait, no, that's, <laughs> that's getting on the form of abusive. And I, I will not tolerate that. And right away, I know like, okay, I'm going back into my bad programming way. I've seen other people speak to each other. And yes, it's right for him to hold that boundary. Yeah. Well, and I love, sorry, I just love the words that he uses. He's not attacking you. He's just like, this is cross. I love that. Like, wait, you're crossing this line, which is an observation of behavior, not a personal criticism. So I think that is really important to distinguish that. It's so good. I love that language. Yeah. A lot, women are very emotional and they will just, if given the opportunity and not given the right container, they will just keep going. Right. Yeah. yeah. If you can stop and say, actually, I love you and I'm not going to let this go further and I've got you, or this is okay. This is not okay then our feelings that just went off the rails can be curtailed and we can start to feel safe again. So yeah, important. what I've heard uh, say, uh, women needs uh, to feel safe and uh, men needs to be respected is what I've heard. And uh, I, for me, that I identify definitely into that. Peter, could you also speak into that demasculation? Yeah, <clears throat> so it really goes back to what we talked about earlier, which is not understanding people's job. Because if you understand your job as the masculine, you can't be emasculated. It's just not going to happen because you, yeah. you are firm and confident in your masculine center. You know what your job is and you can hear when you're not doing a good job. I mean, I try to do a good job, but I know when I've failed and I know that the next step is I need to fix it and then keep going. So, if you don't really, if you're not clear on what your job is and what the boundaries are, that's when it gets really wonky. And I think it's getting worse in society because of all the messages that people are getting. And a related thing is that hurts people. I'll just take one half step back, which is at the end of the day, I find it very important for all of us to understand who our authentic self is. Yeah. Because in society today, I feel like 
most people have wandered a little further away from their authentic self. So what that means is like a couple of examples would be for women, society is saying you're as good as a man. You should be paid what a man is. You're, you can be successful. You can be the next president of the country, blah, blah, all true. But it gets a little translated wonky where it's like, you should become those things, which is very different than you can become those things. And so a lot of women hear that messaging and they go after those things, get deep into their masculine. And if that's not their authentic self, it comes to bite them later in life with huge dissatisfaction. They're just out of energy, constantly running and really unhappy. And the same thing happens with men. Society is saying you need to be like this, like that, which is very emasculating, especially men who grew up with single mothers and without strong masculine role models. So if you have a, if you're a, a boy, become a man and you have a single mother who was hurt by a man, you're going to absorb all kinds of narrative around men and how not to be. You're not going to get a lot of narrative about how to be. And so then you get confused. And when you get confused and the two meet a woman in her masculine, not in her authentic self, a man in more feminine, not an authentic self, it's a complete disaster. So I urge people and I try to help people figure out who they really are. I don't care. I mean, it's not like every woman is super feminine. Every man is super masculine. I know plenty of men who have pretty strong emotional feminine bodies. And you just handle that a little bit differently. But what I found, for example, is because of that's happening, I was at a workshop with men kind of in every decade of life. And the men under 40, when it came to this one moment where we were talking about how to claim your woman, they just like shrank and contracted. Because like to them, it's like, claim a woman, I can't do that. I can't, that sounds bad. The older men who grew up in a different environment, they knew exactly what it meant. They knew how it was a very loving, it was not a controlling thing. And if you do this work, you realize that in the way we use this terminology, being claimed is one of the things that a feminine identified being craves. So we have a society where you're not, you don't know what you want and you're not getting it and you don't know what's happening. And then it's very easy to blame other people and come up with narratives and stories. And you can short circuit that very easily by understanding the dynamic and seeing it. Part of what we provide as coaches is we show you a perspective you haven't thought about before. And then you're yeah. like, oh, okay. And then boom, shift. That's so powerful. Hey, this podcast has been so, so interesting and in getting to kind of like understand a little bit more about this feminine and masculine energy. And uh, we're going to round off the podcast with a ending question. I usually ask the people I interview, if you have a listener right now that's in the middle of the divorce, lots of tension, a lot of fear, and what would your advice be? And this is both for Peter and Tracy. And just to share you know, some wisdom to these people. The piece that I would give that I love going to with my clients, and I also, I think it speaks back to, as you said, men asking you wanting a man to ask you out and him not doing it, is getting really clear on what you want, right? If you want a masculine man who you want them to ask you out, then that's, don't go looking for the fish that you don't want to catch, right? <laughs> So I think it's very easy when you're going through divorce and you're in a lot of pain to think about all the things you don't want anymore, all the things you're walking away from. But I would say start to picture yourself five, one, 10 years down the road. Create that vision for what your life, what you want it to be like. Stop getting caught in what you don't want it to look like and start casting the vision. Maybe take get really deep in your heart, get in a meditation space and just start dreaming yeah. and take these little pieces that you get and get really, it's how you manifest. It's how you create the life you want. When I ended my divorce, I made a list of what I want out of a partner. Right. And, and then it showed up. Right. But once you're very clear and you start to be a stand for what you want in your own life and you, it's great to see little things come 
right? And maybe it's not quite the right man, but you, now you're even clearer, right? And you can start to see what the next step is. And letting yourself dream and know that you deserve it. And there's nothing wrong with you. And you can always turn your life around and make the life you want. Oh, I love that. That's so beautiful. I just want to say really fast, my I have a friend who calls that crazy town. Go to crazy town. Envision everything. And I love it because it can only manifest if you're envisioning it, honestly. I think that. So thanks for sharing that piece of advice. Peter, do you have any thoughts? Yeah. <clears throat> the perspective I would share is, first of all, whatever pain you're going through, it, it too shall pass. And yeah. so you can create That's a true. future that is beyond your wildest expectations. And the only thing in the way of that future is you. (laughs) I love that. You're you're the only (laughs) obstacle to yourself. And I agree very strongly with kind of visioning. And I would add like a little element to it, which is make all the lists, all the qualities that you want. Once again, get away from what you don't want and focus on what you actually do want. But then look at that list and figure out there's only two or three things that really, really matter. And so I think Tracy said this to me at one point a couple of years ago, and (laughs) I've heard some other women say this thing too, which is they had this kind of aha moment, which is like, oh, you are what I need and want. You're not exactly in the package I thought you would come in. And that is very important because if you're looking at 30 things, you have to be between 5'9 and 5'11 and you have to be this and you have to be that and this other thing and blah, blah. Then you're looking for this box. And you're only doing that to protect yourself. Right. The minute he doesn't one of those things, you can say, oh, it wasn't me not showing up and being the best partner. It was just that he wasn't tall enough. (laughs) (laughs) which seems so silly right (laughs) and instead if you really are clear on a couple of things like an example for us would be growth is just part of my life it always has been I'm very curious I expect to be curious till the day I die I need somebody who I can travel with that that works because it's that's a total go no-go there's a couple other things so if I'm looking for only the really two or three things of the other 30, maybe five aren't there or whatever, but you're like, eh, Those are- you work around. It's really not a big deal. And that's why, yeah. So when I hear that, I feel good. Like when I hear like, you're not exactly the right package. It's like, great. Cause you're focused on what matters and you're not distracted by what doesn't matter. Oh, I love those final th- final thoughts. You're focused on what matters. And I feel like you guys have done This has been really interesting. I think you have given our listeners so much to think about and to understand. And I too am about growth. So these will definitely be things that I look into and research and they resonate. And thank you for sharing your stories. I feel like they were really valuable and I was able to learn from them. So thank you so much for your time today. Yeah, it's been a really interesting podcast. I, uh, I love to interview people. I'm also a very curious person. And that's why I want to hear other people's stories, uh, other people, what they've learned from divorce. I've learned more uh, during divorce about myself than any other period in my life. And I just feel like I was forced into it initially, but I didn't realize it would be the best thing that's ever happened to me able to do that journey And that's why I want these listeners, all listeners that feel the despair, feel the loneliness, depression, suicidal thoughts, to know there is an ending to this pain. And you're going to do the journey. You might not feel that you are moving, but you are moving. And to have a counselor, have a coach, have somebody that can speak into your life during this journey is so crucial. And both Peter and Tracy, you work as coaches. Where can you find more information about you guys? You can go to our website, which is empoweringyourlove.com. There's also a few freebies there. So if you're interested in how to connect with your feminine, you can just put in your name and email list, email address, and you'll get um, a guide to help you connect to that. That's awesome. And I will put that in the description below as well, all the information for Peter and Tracy. 
a big thank you to, to both of you for taking time to, to share your story and share your wisdom. It's been truly amazing and I thank you so much. Thanks for having Thank us. Thank you.